We are incredibly fortunate to be speaking with Dr. Helen Kelly, a trained solicitor, principal, researcher, and author of School Leaders Matter, Preventing Burnout, Managing Stress, and Improving Wellbeing. Helen is also a wellbeing and culture specialist, providing consultancy support for many schools around the world. Welcome, Helen. Thanks very much for having me, Claire. Well, thank you for joining us. It's such an important topic that we're talking about today. Um, so the first thing I wanted to ask you um, is the topic of teacher and senior leader burnouts is one that's gained um, kind of greater recognition in recent years. Why do you think that is? Well, I think that it's probably the pandemic that brought this into closer focus. Mm. But I think it's really important for people to understand that this isn't something that happened just as a result of the pandemic. You know, that school leader and teacher well-being and the well-being of others that work in schools as well, not just educators, has, according to the data, has been declining for many years, mm. you know, decades even. Um, but during the pandemic, this was brought into greater focus. You know, the well-being of both um, educators and and students, in fact, the well-being of everyone. And it gains some traction in the media. Mm. And as a result of that, we now, you know, obviously the pandemic was a terrible thing that we wished hadn't happened. Um, and it's had a, 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 you know, a devastating impact on the well-being of many people. But one of the upsides is that it has brought greater focus to this issue. Yes. So there is there is something kind of gained from that and um, that we have more awareness of it. Um, so as an educator myself and community manager here at ISN, I have, in my experience, witnessed burnouts um, from colleagues um, and from, from people who've reached out from ISN as well. And we actually have somebody who's contributing an article um, that's coming up about her experiences of burnout. Um, so with that being said, and you've done such incredible research, what can schools do then to prevent burnout um, what advice are you aware of uh, for when educators actually then get to that point of burnout? So we have lots of information about how schools can um, put in different strategies. You know, maybe they could do a well-being day or maybe they could um, do um, classes after school or, or talking sessions. But what advice is there for when people have actually reached that point of burnout? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad you asked me that question because it's not something I'm asked very often. And actually, in my book, there is a chapter about what happens when we get to burnout. Mm. And I think it's important to say that absolutely the focus should be on preventing burnout, because when someone reaches burnout, it's a very serious business. Mm. And I don't think that most people understand that burnout is a very misused term. Burnout isn't just when we feel exhausted. It's much more than that. Yeah. And although it isn't a medical diagnosis, it is recognised by the World Health Organisation as an occupational condition that consists of three elements. The first is exhaustion. So that's not just feeling tired, but feeling constantly exhausted even when we're well rested. Mm. Then we have what's called detachment cynicism or depersonalization, where we just don't feel connected to our work anymore. We don't feel connected to the people. We mm. don't feel connected to the values of the workplace. And then the third one is ineffectiveness. Um, that's not necessarily where we become ineffective, although we may, but that we feel ineffective and we're not feeling that sense of accomplishment through our work. And in order for it to be burnout, it needs to be all three of those things present in an individual. Mm. And I'm sure you can imagine if someone is exhausted, they're not feeling connected to the students, their colleagues, the workplace, and they're not feeling effective. 
what a massive impact this can have mm-hmm. on them personally, but also on their ability to do their job well. Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing I want to say is that people need to take burnout seriously because it is a serious business. Now, in the um, preface to my book, I describe my own experience because I actually experienced an occupational burnout. Mm. And my own experience was in accordance with the research that it takes about three years to recover. And it's actually very hard for people to recover from burnout while they're actually in their current role. Yeah. So the vast majority of of people that actually burn out and acknowledge that they're burnt out, seek professional advice, Mm. you know, and someone tells them you're burnt out, Mm. actually end up having to leave their job. And many of them leave the profession. So, you know, these are reasons why it's important that we work on on preventing burnout, because once it happens, it's a very serious business. Now, what you can do when someone is burnt out? Well, that depends upon where you are in the world. Now, many international schools will be operating in countries in Europe or the UK, where there is a legislative framework around what you are expected to do as an employer to Mm. support individuals when they're going through this kind of experience. Um, Whereas many international schools will not have that requirement. And, you know, often in my experience, they're not actually really prepared to do anything Mm. because it's too hard. And international Mm. staff are often seen as disposable. And if someone just isn't able to kind of hack it, you know, they're not able to take the pressures of the job. It's much easier for an international school to just let them go and replace them with someone else. But what they actually need is time off from work, first and foremost. And that's more than just a couple of weeks. You know, when I had my burnout, it was it was diagnosed, if you like, at the end of the school year. Mm -hmm. And so I took two weeks off the last two weeks of the school year and then I had seven weeks holiday. So I had nine weeks off altogether and I thought I was going to be able to come back from that and feel great. And I felt great the first couple of days. And then on the third day, I had a panic attack in my office. Mm -hmm. I've never had a panic attack before in my life, Mm -hmm. you know, and I realized that actually I wasn't better. So people need to have time off. Yeah. The research also shows that what people need isn't immediate counselling or therapy, which is actually what I did. I sought immediate counselling because I, I wasn't aware then of the research. Mm. The people need first and foremost to have time to physically recover. Mm-hmm. So to not be exhausted anymore, to rest and to gain some distance and perspective from the workplace. Yeah. And then the research recommends that people then once that's happened you feel starting to feel better in yourself you're then able to move on to a process of counseling or therapy that mm-hmm. helps you to understand why this happened mm-hmm. and how you put things in place to stop it from happening if someone's still in their workplace you know they've had time off they've gone through this process then it's all about reintroducing them to the workplace mm-hmm. slowly and um, when I worked in Germany for example they have what's called the Hamburger model the hamburger model, which is where you come back in, you know, a little bit at a time. Right. Slowly reintroduced into the workplace with mm-hmm. support. And this way, there's a better chance that people are going to be able to continue in their role. But just grinding through and thinking that it's going to get better and receiving no support and taking no rest, you know, in the end, that can have a devastating effect. And some mm-hmm. people don't ever really properly recover. So, 
you know, it's a serious business and it's all really about how much schools are either required to do by law or are prepared to do if they're not bound by any legislative framework. Yeah, I think that that is um, that will be some incredible advice for somebody who's gone through an experience of burnout and is looking for what do I do next? And like I said, there doesn't seem to be much out there at the moment for what happens when you get to that stage. So that's really, really useful. I think that that will that will act as a real comfort for lots of people. So. That being said, it's it's clear then that prevention is obviously really key in this. Um, so why is this the most fundamental tool we have for preventing burnout? Sorry, why is what the most fundamental Sorry, tool? Sorry, prevention. Oh, right. OK. Um, well, you know, prevention's important, obviously, because once we reach the point of burnout, we're often reaching the point of no return. Mm. I mean, I describe it a little bit as it's a very slow build up over years and years and years and then at the last minute you fall off a cliff yes you know? so it happens yeah. slowly and then it happens fast and mm -hmm. once the fast bits happened it's very hard to come back from so you know that's why it's important that we take steps to prevent it but looking at that in a wider context you know why should this matter to schools well the truth is that we know that healthy employees are more effective employees there's research going back five decades to show that in a range of workplaces mm -hmm. We also know within the context of a school that actually students who are taught by teachers who are experiencing burnout actually have lower levels of motivation and engagement in the classroom. They're less likely to be, um, they're more likely to be disruptive in the classroom and they actually have poorer academic outcomes. But also very interesting research coming from the University of York in the UK in 2021 so it shows that students who are taught by teachers experiencing burnout have higher levels of blood cortisol. So the students themselves are actually more stressed because they're taught by someone who is experiencing burnout. Yes. So there are a whole bunch of reasons connected to the core purpose of the school, mm. you know, student outcomes and school effectiveness that mean that schools should actually take this seriously. Yeah. It's not just about the individual. The individual matters. Of course they do. Yeah. But actually it impacts on, um, you know, the effectiveness of the school. And that's what we're all interested in. Yeah. So preventing burnout isn't just about avoiding someone getting to that point where they fall off the cliff but it's about how that ripples through the whole school community. Yes. You know, we also know that people who are working under very, very high levels of stress are less civil towards their colleagues. Mm. And so that creates um, a negative workplace culture, which impacts on everyone. Yes. And we also know via something called contagion theory, that when we're bringing negativity, you know, exhaustion, that disconnection into the workplace that rubs off on other people around us mm. our emotions rub off on the people that we work with and so there are a whole bunch of reasons why it, schools should be focusing upon preventing this kind of burnout from happening yeah that ripple effect must um you know traveling to the students and then impacting students learning and outcomes but also then affecting relationships with colleagues um yeah, that's really interesting to kind of think about it that way and the wider impact of, of teacher burnout. So what can schools do then? What's, what is actual useful practical strategies that schools can put in place that really do help prevent burnout rather than a plaster on top and we're doing a wellness day or a yeah. get together here or there? What, what practical advice can we give to schools to help prevent burnout? 
Well, no one's saying that these kind of tick box things are, you know, useless. Yes. You know, if, if we show stuff that we care about them by for providing a wellness day or by mm -hmm. bringing cakes in or providing yoga lessons or whatever, that's all going to have an impact. But it mm -hmm. isn't going to have a lasting, meaningful, sustainable impact, you know, on well-being. What we know is that burnout is primarily a condition of the workplace. Mm -hmm. And while there are things that individuals can do to maximise their work recovery during non-work time, the only way to really prevent burnout is at the organisational level mm -hmm. to prevent people from becoming too stressed in the first place. And every single time I do a session like this, whether it be a podcast or a webinar, people want all the with, with the schools that I work with all over the world, people want me to provide them with a list yeah. of things they can do but it isn't as straightforward as that mm. because there is no one-size-fits-all approach to yeah. well-being and what works in one school might not work in another school so actually I've developed um, a workplace well-being framework which mm -hmm. is a strategic approach a collaborative and strategic approach for school leaders and staff to work together to figure out what's going wrong in their school and how it can be put right yeah. and that, that involves appointing a well-being team from all, across all areas of the school, gaining some in, some education around burnout and um, mm. well-being first, so that we all have a common understanding of what we're talking about. You know what kinds of things cause burnout in school, and then we would move to collecting data. So all those wonderful staff well-being surveys that schools do these days, mm. most of them don't do anything with it. Yeah. They have data and they do nothing so collecting data you know from surveys conducting focus groups looking at what your HR data is telling you mm. when people leave the school do we do an exit interview and what mm. are they telling us about you know stress and well-being in the school and using that data to identify what the themes are mm -hmm. you know we can't fix every individual's problem but there are always common themes that come to the surface and some of those common themes we're not going to be able to address you know either because we don't have the budget or the time or it's just not yeah. realistic so mm -hmm. identifying together as a staff together with leadership what can we do mm -hmm. And then putting change, you know, implementing change yes. and reviewing and monitoring and then starting that cycle all over again. Yes. So the most effective way is to implement this strategic collaborative approach so that we're addressing at the root cause the things that are happening in our school that affect the well-being of our staff yes. rather than just trying to implement a bunch of strategies and tools that have been done in other schools that might not work for us. Yes. Yeah, really important to feel, you know, as a as a member of a of school team to feel heard. And Absolutely. yeah, and what an incredible way to do that is to to gather that information and actually review it. Think about what can we do then to to put in different practices, what can we do to really support you and, and to continuously review that so that yeah, people do feel heard. They're not raising a query or a problem and it just being on a questionnaire that just gets put in a drawer and, and isn't looked at again. Absolutely. And there are common themes that, you know, that seem to crop up in almost all of the schools that I work in. Mm. So workload is obviously, a, you yeah. know, something that's talked about a lot. And most of the time when I'm brought into schools, it's not to help them address workload because many schools have already done a lot in that regard. Yeah. 
Um, most of my work is around improving the workplace culture yeah. and then also providing education to build awareness around well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, so the things apart from workload that most commonly arise are around that sense of community, not feeling a sense of belonging to the school, yeah. uh, issues with collegial relationships. So there being people not feeling respected is yeah. something that comes up a lot. Um, not feeling recognized and appreciated and valued for the work that you're doing also comes up a lot and then the last thing is psychological safety people not feeling that they're safe to ask questions admit when they don't know things admit when they've made mistakes without fear of judgment Mm -hmm. and those are those common themes relating to the workplace culture that come up a lot yeah and you know quite a lot of things can be done to address those issues in school and just improve and you know improve what people are thinking about the workplace how they feel about coming to work and that daily experience which actually has a massive impact on well-being yeah absolutely oh Helen thank you so much for your time could you tell us then um where educators where schools can learn a little bit more about you and your services because I think you provide something that is um that's so useful so valuable for for schools so could you tell us a little bit more about where we can find you absolutely so I have a website drhelenkelly.com And on there, you'll find um, lots of podcasts and webinars and recordings of things that you can listen to. There are also articles that I've written for magazines and other um, publications and blog posts. There's also some information about the kind of work that I do, workshops, conference presentations, consultancy work, data collection, all that kind of stuff. Or you can reach out to me through email at helen at drhelenkelly.com. I also hang out mostly on LinkedIn and you can find me there quite easily. Um, So I'm always happy to hear from people. You know, I'm in contact with thousands of educators every year. Mm. So if you have any questions or you need support um, or you want a bit of advice, um, feel free to reach out. Well, that's that's wonderful to hear. Thank you so much for your time, Helen. Thank you, Claire. Thank you.